Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the fourth Sunday after Trinity, July 10th, 2022, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. A special welcome to those of you who are visiting us. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. can be found on page 1612 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as uh, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whenever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth that you convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. For a time in American pop culture history, it seemed like society as a whole understood vocation. You consider that two of the more popular shows on television, at least from children's perspective, featured a great appreciation for love of neighbor. Now, one of those I'm guessing you'll pick up on was Mr. Rogers, who for those of us who grew up in the 70s or the 80s was one of the most popular men on the face of the planet, rightfully so. His show was awesome. If you're of the same age group, though, perhaps you also remember the Sesame Street short that would feature people in their jobs about the neighborhood. They talk about garbage people and garbage men, I guess. I'm not going to be too politically correct. And... and, uh, Teachers and everything in the jingle. These are the people in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood. No one's nodding. Am I the only one who remembers it? Okay, so Kari gets it. There we go. Uh, It looked like we got vocation. It looked like we were coming to an understanding of loving 
and appreciating our neighbors. And, and for those of us of a certain generation, it, there was a hopefulness in the way we were raised. And now we can fast forward to the 21st century. And uh, whatever was built on the goodwill of shows like Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers has been utterly destroyed and eliminated. Not to have a too pessimistic view of the world around us, but it, it seems like in almost warp speed, we went from loving others and appreciating our neighborhood to confessing things like, I don't like people who are different than me. And then that escalated to, I don't like people who I disagree with. And now it seems like if you look around, and especially with, with the taint that is social media, we've come to, I don't like people who aren't exactly like me in every way, shape, and form. We've quickly discovered that the brand of niceness that Mr. Rogers and certain elements of Sesame Street peddled doesn't work in society. But why? Why didn't that take root? Why didn't that take hold? Why can't we all just get along? The answer, pastorally, biblically, theologically speaking, is most certainly sin. But it's that sin in society looks like the breakdown of our vocations. And this breakdown, this, this digression, this devolvement is very nicely illustrated for us in Jesus' preaching about the Good Samaritan. And so looking back to Luke and Jesus' exchange with this lawyer, what we see first when vocation breaks down or that leads to the breakdown of vocation is self-justification. Now, Jesus has this exchange with a lawyer who really knows his stuff. This man is impressive, but we get the sense he also wants to be known as impressive. He knows all the answers. He understands the law as a lawyer should. He's confident, and you see his confident in that, in a polite society like the ancient Middle East was, this man publicly tries to size Jesus up. It's a brash thing that he does. If there's one thing this man is missing, he doesn't understand why he believes what he believes. He just knows what he knows. Luke comments for us, the lawyer desiring to justify himself. The first thing to break down in our love for our neighbors is our focus. We have a sinful tendency to make ourselves the center of our own private universe. What this does is it leads us to justify our own actions. It really doesn't take that long to happen. This is the default position of our sinful nature. We want to, on the one hand, be pleasing to God. And, and, and we can even throw a bone to those who don't believe in the God of the Bible or those who claim to be atheists or whatever. We want to, unless someone is a psychopath, be respected. 
be well-liked, be righteous. But we want to be respected, well-liked, righteous, or pleasing to God on our own terms. What this does is it curves us in on ourselves. It curves us in on our motives and intentions and excuses and everything else to the end that we become sanctimonious navel-gazers, constantly wondering how we look before God and others. But what this all ends up doing from the outside looking in is that makes us be in competition with our neighbor. If we don't look good, if we slip up, if we come to the reasonable conclusion at some point in time or another that we've failed, we can at least look better than the next guy. Every action we do in sin, we do as a self-justifying, selfish, self-seeking sinner. That's the end of it. But this is only the first step in the breakdown of our love for neighbor. In our self-justification, the next step is that we try to shrink the neighborhood. The lawyer's question in his attempt at self-justification is incredibly insightful. He asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? Again, he had the right answer. Jesus says, how do you read scripture? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right answer. But who's my neighbor? Whom should I love? The lawyer is certainly not asking Jesus to identify a neighbor for him. He knows his stuff. This is not a question seeking direction on whom the lawyer should go out and love. In fact, what the lawyer asks is precisely the opposite. When this lawyer asks Jesus, who is my neighbor, what he's really asking Jesus is, who isn't my neighbor? Whom can I exclude? Who do I get to not love? He's trying to limit the playing field. He's trying to shrink his neighborhood. But why would the lawyer do this? Now, in reality, there are any number of possible answers to that question, uh, likely in view here because of Jesus' preaching on the Good Samaritan. We have the view of the ethnic nationalism of the Jews of Jesus' day, who determined that certain others, and especially Samaritans, were not worthy of love or respect or consideration. But again, lest we pick on the Jews and shrug our shoulders, there's a bigger picture to all this. Because we try to do the same thing. When we try to eliminate potential neighbors from our love, what we end up doing is agreeing with the outcome of the law. As it stands, the law for us is impossible to keep. It's impossible to complete. But if I'm going to justify myself, I need to be able to at least build the facade that demonstrates I'm keeping the law, that demonstrates I'm pleasing God, that demonstrates I'm righteous. 
But again, the problem is love is hard. And so if I remove as many difficult people from my life as possible, loving becomes much easier, and I end up looking much more pious and holy. If I surround myself with people that look like me, or talk like me, or think like me, or believe like me, then loving is a much simpler task. The Pharisees were masters at this craft. They eliminated neighbors. The Samaritans, as we've discussed, were some. But they also eliminated the poor and the unclean and anyone else they could keep at arm's length or even further. And then the Pharisees diluted the law by making extra rules to keep their neighbors even further at bay. If you read through the Gospels, the Pharisees succeeded in even eliminating their own parents as neighbors. Whatever I declare or have and declare as a gift for God, well, you're just out of my help, mom and dad. The problem for us today is that each one of us has an incredibly effective and efficient Pharisee living in our own heart. We are all law deluders and neighbor eliminators. And so when we follow the pattern of self-justification and neighbor elimination, the only possible outcome is that we stop loving altogether. And this is where the Good Samaritan comes in. Jesus preaches. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, I've preached several times on the Good Samaritan, and there's all sorts of angles you can take. But one thing I've missed in this that I've never seen before is that the Pharisee, or the priest, excuse me, and the Levite were both traveling by themselves on the road full of robbers. The setting that Jesus leaves us with is that the Levite and the priest pass through this dangerous territory only by the grace and mercy of God. But it was the Samaritan who fell. And as Jesus preaches, the two people who should have been the most loving who should have been the most intimately familiar with the Word of God and who should have been most attuned in being solo travelers on the same dangerous road for the need for compassion and grace, those two completely whiffed on love. Their non-response was perhaps the most unloving thing they could have done. And there are a few things that we need to point out to help us make sense of what this looks like in our own lives. First, it is highly likely that both the priest and the Levite thought they were being loving. 
Here's where we need to stop and consider again. I don't think they thought they were being loving to the Samaritan. This wasn't like a, like a death with dignity or anything like that sort of thing. But it's likely the priest and the Levite both thought they were being loving toward God. They were staying ritually pure and ceremonially clean. They were not defiling themselves or their righteousness. They were being, in their mind, completely orthodox, which should lead us to consider that orthodox belief without love is completely useless. In fact, there's an entire chapter in the Bible that teaches this, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, that's what this is all about. If you are more concerned with being right than with being loving, you're completely missing the point. But the real point here is that for all the attacks on doctrine that we might set ourselves up for, orthodox belief without love isn't orthodox at all. Now, had these two men, this priest and this Levite, understood the law and what was required of them, they would have immediately helped the Samaritan. They would have responded in like manner as the Samaritan. They would have done maybe even more. But beyond misunderstanding God's law, the priest and the Levite misunderstood the gospel. They misunderstood and misappropriated the grace and mercy that God had extended to them throughout their entire life. And so now we are left asking ourselves the question, what are we to do when love breaks down in our own lives and we fail in our own vocations? The answer as always, is to look to Christ. We remember that the point of Jesus' teaching in this passage is that he is the Good Samaritan. And we would also remember that along with us being the priest and the Levite, we are also the battered, broken, and bruised man in the ditch left for dead. The attacks of Satan and of the world and of our own sinful flesh has left us in this state. But in this case, the reality that Jesus is pointing to in his teaching is much more drastic. We are not just the man left for dead in the ditch. We are the man in the ditch who is already dead. In Jesus more than just a nice guy who comes along and helps us get back on our feet. Jesus is the neighbor who loved us, tended to our wounds, healed us, raised us to new life, but also took our place and died the death we deserve to die. Jesus' death and resurrection is what God's love looks like. Jesus' death and resurrection is the proof that God loves us. So Jesus tells the lawyer, when Jesus tells us 
Go and do likewise. He's not just giving us another law and standard to live up to. He is doing that. Jesus requires you to leave this place and go and do likewise. But Jesus is also reminding us that his love for us as the Good Samaritan is perfect and complete and certain. Loving our neighbors in our vocations can be difficult and can be painful. We are often, if not always, called to suffer in love for our neighbor, whomever that might be, our spouse or our children or our parents or our siblings or our friends or our co-workers or whoever. But whatever we suffer in this life pales in comparison not only to the suffering Jesus did in our place, but also to the grace mercy and eternity that has been extended to us because Jesus loved in our place. And so the call for us, though sometimes painful and though always a call to sacrifice, the call for us is simple. Go love your neighbor, but love in the reality that Jesus first loved you and that his love is so much better and perfect and eternal. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.